uh, the outreach uh, pastor here. And so glad you are here. I'll tell you, that worship service today and, and singing, that just uh, gave me goosebumps. Thank you very much to our worship team for just leading our, our hearts in that way. I just absolutely loved it. A lot of times you'll see me in the parking lot uh, greeting you as you come in. Uh, I was told this morning, you'll do anything to get out of this cold weather in the parking lot, won't you, John? So I'm preaching today, so uh, glad to be here. Yes, glad to be uh, out of that cold weather. Thank you for being here today uh, to our online service. Uh, thank you for joining us uh, this morning. We, do you see the construction stuff up here? We have lumber, we have cement blocks. Uh, we're in a series called Rebuilding, Rebuilding. Uh, and that's what we're going to be continue to look at today. There are two books in the Bible. You've heard uh, Stan's been preaching about one of them. But you've heard there's two books in the Bible that actually go back to back, hand in hand. Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah. They're found in the Old Testament. Israel spent 70 years in exile. They were exiled in Babylon and, and in the Persian Empire. And before some were able, uh, after a while, some were able to go back to Jerusalem. They went back. Ezra and a large group went back to Jerusalem after 70 years. And the temple had been destroyed. They rebuilt the temple. They rebuilt the temple. But the walls were not rebuilt. Jerusalem was totally exposed and vulnerable. And when Nehemiah, who was a Jew living in exile, heard of Jerusalem's condition, he wept and prayed. He wept and prayed. Those walls, they need to be rebuilt. The gate needs to be put in. The gates need to be built. And two weeks ago, Stan preached a message called The Dislocated Heart, and he talked about the need that they had. And last week, Stan talked about the broken spirit. And then we talked about prayer and repentance. By the way, Nehemiah had a unique job. Uh, he worked in the royal palace. He actually worked in the kitchen of the royal palace. Uh, he had a job that demanded extreme trust. Uh, he was the cupbearer of the king. However, I have to tell you, he was so much more than a cupbearer. He was a man of God who had radical faith. And that is what I want to talk about today. Nehemiah's radical faith. Let's pray and ask God to be with us today. Our Father in heaven... On this cold, cold morning, we love the beauty, and we are so grateful that we can come together to worship you and to sing songs to you, Father. We're the choir, and you are the audience, and we're grateful, Father, that we can be encouraged as we study your word. It was given to us to read and to know and to understand and to shape us to who we, you want us to be. And so God, shape us today. Mold us as we look at your word, as we examine it. May your words penetrate our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
We're going to be just uh, looking through Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 this morning. If you uh, have a Bible, go ahead and pull that out, either a Bible app or there's Bibles in the chairs in front of you. It's page 476 in that pew Bible, 476. Let me read to you what it says in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says this, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, he's going to be one of our main focuses today. When wine was brought to him, I, he's the cupbearer, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. He was feeling sad because of the news he received. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? You're not sick. What's wrong? What's wrong? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. Regardless of one's uh, personal problems, the king's servants were expected to keep their problems hidden. <laughs> and they were expected to have a cheerful display. I could have almost been a cupbearer. Someone says I smile all the time. But they saw there's something different about it. There's something different about him. Everything changed for Nehemiah when he heard the news about Jerusalem. And his face showed it. And King Artaxerxes, you know, saw that there, it wasn't, you know, you don't have COVID. You're not sick. What's going on? Something is distressing you. And he said, I was very much afraid. I, I want you to think about that. Anxiety gripped Nehemiah. N not so much because the, queen, the king was, you know, questioning him. Not in, in anticipation, you know, of that. But it was in anticipation of the request that Nehemiah was going to make. He was going to talk about the walls in Jerusalem. And it was the fact that he knew that King Artaxerxes himself stopped the Jewish efforts to rebuild the walls 10 years earlier. In the days of Ezra, remember I said Ezra and Nehemiah, they go hand in hand. They go back to back. They are a connected book, two books that are connected. In the days of Ezra, after they rebuilt the temple, they started actually at that time to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. They started to do that. And King Artaxerxes was told about it, and he immediately stopped the work. He said, this must stop. Look at what it says. You know, the king was told that Jerusalem was in a, they were a rebellious city. And that if he allowed the walls to be built, it was going to threaten him and his empire. This is what King Artaxerxes wrote in the book of Ezra. Let's look at this. Ezra chapter 4, verse 21, 22. Now issue, King Artaxerxes, this is his words. This is what he wrote. Now issue an order to these men to stop work. So that this city will not be rebuilt until I so order. And then he just makes sure, he says, now be careful not to neglect this matter. I don't want this just to fall behind. Stop the work now. Why let this threat grow to the detriment of the royal interests? He said, oh, this has to stop. What is Nehemiah to do? 
His face is sad because they have no protection in Jerusalem. Will King Artaxerxes see Nehemiah now as a threat to the empire? If that's the case, <laughs> this could lead to severe consequences for Nehemiah. I don't know about you, but I, I would be afraid too. Okay, that's a little bit squeaky voice, okay? But I'd be afraid also. Let me say this. Listen, because this is what I want. I, this is what I really want this point to be understood. Radical faith seems to always have an element of fear. Without the element of fear, there's no need for, for faith. There's no need for courage without the element of fear. Nehemiah was afraid, but he had radical faith. He was afraid, but he had radical faith. Let's see what happens. It goes on to say in Nehemiah 2, verses 3 and 4, he says, well, I said to the king, may the king live forever. He was respectful to the king. May the king live forever. Why should I, why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Well, the king said to me, well, what do you want? What is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. I prayed to the God of heaven. Last week in our message, Stan preached about prayer. Oh, it was the focus prayer. If we don't get this part, we'll never have the courage to move forward. So as a church, as a church, we've been praying and now it is time to step up, to be strong and courageous. So after Nehemiah whispered a prayer, he got up the courage to speak. Verse 5, so I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight... Let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Nehemiah stepped up, and although he was afraid, he spoke up and told the king what he needed. I love this. Nehemiah's story is recorded in the Bible for us to be inspired, to be encouraged. To step up in our, in our own faith. And listen to me. Don't let your fears detour your faith. See, that, that's the thing. Satan will cause us to convince ourselves, oh, I can't do this. I am too afraid. You know, fear is a part of, of what happens. And God says, you know, don't let your fears dictate Remember the song we just sang, the battle belongs? When I am afraid, the battle belongs to God. Yes. The battle belongs to God. There are many others in the Bible who did not let fear stop their faith from, from growing. I, I love all these Bible stories of radical faith, and you know most of these. I, I think about Noah. Noah. 
who had radical faith, even though he feared wasting his life building a boat. Do you know how big this boat was, the ark? It was one and a half football fields long. Okay, we're in football season. You know how big a football field is. Can you imagine thousands upon thousands of years ago building a boat like that? I think about Moses who had radical faith, even though he had, he had fear of going up against Pharaoh and then turn around and leading millions of people into, out of Egypt and into the wilderness. <laughs> I think about Joshua who had radical, radical faith, even though he feared going into a land filled with fortified cities. Gideon, who had radical faith, even though he went up against the whole Midianite army with only 300 soldiers who were armed only with torches and trumpets. Okay, where did he go to school? I think about David, who had radical faith, even though he had to face Goliath. The giant. I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We heard about them three weeks ago, who were thrown into the fiery furnace for not worshiping the king. I think about Daniel, who was thrown in the lion's den for praying. Esther, Esther. She's actually somewhat of a contemporary to this whole story. Uh, she approached King Xerxes, who was ruler of the Persian Empire 20 years earlier. Her radical faith saved her people for such a time as this, Esther 4.14. I think about Peter. <laughs> it says the apostles were afraid when they were on that boat and Jesus come walking out on the water. And I think about Peter who stepped out of the boat to walk on water. Listen, folks, you will never walk on water if you don't get out of the boat. And fear has kept us from moving. Fear keeps our faith from growing in what, into what God has in mind. Every single person that I just listed to you were all afraid. But they stepped up. And that's called radical faith. You know... There are many people in the Bible who God gave them a chance, who never stepped up, who never stepped off the boat. Fear broke their faith. Uh, Bible stories that, that could have been. I think of Shamua, Shaphat, Igal, Palti, Gadiel, Gadi, Amiel, Cesar, Nabi, and Guel. Now, it took me probably half my time just to learn to say those names. I, I learned from Stan, it doesn't, care what, it doesn't matter what you say, just say it with confidence. You recognize these names? There was a song I used to sing when I was a kid. Maybe some of you sang it. Twelve men went to spy on Cana. Ten were bad and two were good. Remember that song? There were 12 people that were sent to spy on Cana. Moses sent them in and said, check out the land. 12. These are the 10. The other two are Caleb and Joshua. You know, it's kind of interesting. We name our kids after Caleb and Joshua. 
I have never named any, I've never heard anybody name their kid one of these. Maybe a whale like Shamu or something, but. <laughs> God says, go into the promised land and come back and give us a report. Fear took them down. They said, we can't do it. These cities are fortified. We can't do it. They seem like giants compared to us. We look like grasshoppers in their eyes. We can't do it. The other two, Jocelyn and Caleb said, oh, yes, we can because we've got God. I know I, am, I too am afraid. I'm afraid. But God's got this battle. Joshua and Caleb made it in. Those ten did not. Let me give you another story. This one, when I realized how this story, next story unfolded, it just like, wow. This, this, you got to be kidding. Jeroboam. Jeroboam was king of Israel. His story is found in 1 Kings chapter 11 and 12. Uh, I, I, th I find this story absolutely amazing. Let me set it up. Um, king Solomon, David, King David's son Solomon was the king. Solomon died. His son Rehoboam, now it's, it's kind of confusing because they both have rhyming names, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, but just bear with me. Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, then became king. And the people of Israel gathered themselves and, and approached Rehoboam and they said, can you possibly ease up? Your dad was a hard one. Your dad, Solomon, was very hard. He laid a heavy yoke on us. So Rehoboam says, hey, thank you for approaching me. I appreciate that. Let me go to my advisors and, and we'll discuss it and I'll get back to you. So Rehoboam, first of all, went to his dad's advisors, the elders. He went to the elders. He said, hey, this is what's happening, you know. Uh, the people come to me and they said, your dad Solomon was kind of tough. Can you um, lighten up a little bit? The elders said to Rehoboam, oh, that's probably a good thought. I think you really need to do that. I think if you ease up on them, oh, they will just love you and serve you to the day they die. And Rehoboam goes, thank you very much. Appreciate your advice. Let me see what some others say. And then he went to his buddies. He went to the young advisors. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us how that went in 1 Kings 12, 10, and 11. It says, the young men who had grown up with him replied, tell these people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Tell them my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid, a, uh, laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. You set him straight. You tell him who's boss. Rehoboam thought about it and said, you know what? I kind of like that advice. He accepted his peers' advice, and it put Israel into turmoil. Now, unbeknownst to Rehoboam, to King Rehoboam, God had already sent a prophet to Jeroboam 
because God was going to make Jeroboam king of the 10 northern tribes. They had 12 tribes in Israel. It's kind of like states. They had 12 states. They had 10 northern tribes. And God had already approached Jeroboam through a prophet and, and told him that, you know what? You're going to become king of the 10 northern tribes. It's what was said to Jeroboam that just struck me. Look at 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 37 through 30. It says, this is the prophet speaking God's word to Jeroboam. However, as for you, I will take you and you will rule over all that your heart desires. You're going to be however type of king you want to be. You will be the king over Israel if you do whatever I command you and walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and commands. As David, my servant, did, I will be with you. I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David. And I and will give you, I will and will give you, give Israel to you. I'll eventually get it out. This is the part that I find fascinating. I'm going to build you a dynasty like David's. Now, mo most people have heard of King David. Imagine those of you watching and, and sitting here have heard of David. But have you heard of King Jeroboam? I, most have not. What happened? God says, I'm going to build you into a dynasty just like King David. What happened? Fear happened. He had the chance of a lifetime, but fear kept him from having the faith that he needed to step up, to step out of the boat. Jeroboam lacked courage to have that radical faith that we've been talking about today. He feared that, you know what, he's going to lose his kingdom. To keep people from going back to worship at the temple in Jerusalem, his thought was, you know what, if they go back to Jerusalem, they, they say, ah, forget, forget King Jeroboam, we're just going to have our own. He, he began to fear that. So what he did was he built two temples in Bethel and Dan and set up golden calves. Yes, golden calves in each of those temples and said, here's your gods to worship. And that led to his downfall. And he has moved into obscurity. So what fears are hindering you? I'll tell you, God has great blessings in store for you. Will you see those blessings in spite of your fears? Maybe there's someone that, that 
you want to bring to church with you. But your fears keep you from even asking them. You know, I, I had wrote that application and it put me in a bind because there was someone I wanted to invite and I was afraid to do so. I thought, John, listen to your sermon, listen to your sermon. And so I invited that person. Now they told me they wouldn't be here. They had something going on. But I introduced the thought. Don't let fear keep you from making an eternal difference in somebody's life. Maybe you would like to get involved in a ministry, but you fear that the time it might involve is like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. Don't let fear keep you from the blessings that God has in mind to do through you. Maybe you want to get into a small group or, or some kind of a group, but you, you fear that, that you might not fit in. What if I go and I don't fit in? Don't let that keep you from growing and developing lasting friendships. You know, we've been talking a little bit, starting to talk a little bit more about baptism again. And many think, well, you know, this might be something that I need to do, but I'm kind of afraid of that. Don't let fears stop you from being blessed the way that God wants you to be blessed. By the way, all these things I'm very passionate about. And after the sermon today, I'll be over there at that cross and I want you to come over and talk to me. You say, well, I would, but I'm a little bit scared to do so. Don't let that stop you. <laughs> this week, examine the fears that you have like Nehemiah had. Whisper a prayer and trust God with your radical faith. God will bless you when you face your fears and have that radical faith. And next week you're going to hear Stan preach about how God blessed Nehemiah. How he blessed his radical faith. I, have, I want to just share with you just a, a short story. I want to share with you how God... Uh, blessed me when I had some radical faith. Um, we have this construction stuff up here on the, on the stage. I, I have done some construction in the past. I um, built, uh, Cheryl and I built a home that we live in. Well, it was new when we moved in. We really didn't do anything. <laughs> but I have been involved in two building programs in churches where I have served. Uh, I was the preacher at both of these churches when we had a building program. The first building program that I, that I was in, I did not know what I was doing. I, uh, and I literally say that that is the truth. Uh, I, it was my very first preaching ministry. I was in my mid-20s. Okay, does that give you a hint? Um, I was, it was my first preaching ministry. I was preaching at a really tiny church. It was a church of 60 people. Our worship center was half the size of this stage up here. It was very small. Matter of fact, it was so small that there was an evangelist that came and did a revival for us one time. And he had so much fun. 
he, he said that every church he spoke at after that, he always had to talk about New Hope. That's the church I was preaching at. He said, New Hope, that's a great church. It's the church where the wives have to sit on their husband's laps. <laughs> it was very tiny. So we, we knew we had to do something. So we bought some land. We bought some land and, and um, paid, it, paid it off. It took us about five years to pay off the land. It was, we were a very poor church. But we knew that God wanted us to do something. And it was going very, very slowly. Oh, my. We were raising no money. We thought maybe we would try to build the building on our own, just buy the, buy the materials and try to build it ourselves. Okay, that was a scary thought. But in any case, we were trying to move ahead. So we finally took our designs and turned them into an architect, which was going to cost us more money than we had. But we said, we got to keep moving forward. We got to keep moving forward. That week, the week that we turned in our drawings to the architect, I get a phone call from one of the church families. John, did you see the classifieds in last night's paper? I said, no. <laughs> I, don't, I did not typically read through the classifieds. He said, there's a church building for sale. There is. So he gave me the location and I checked it out. I thought, you know what, that's right among our church family. I thought, wonder what, wonder if they'd let us come look at it. So here's the, uh, the building that we found out was for sale. It's about the same size of what we wanted to build. It had some acreage. It was on the corner of a U.S. highway and a county road. We said, hey, can we bring our group of 60 out here to look at this building? So some, uh, on a Sunday afternoon, we all gathered around to, to check this building out. And it looked like, okay, it's usable, and it's a nice location. Now, we were thinking that just materials alone was going to cost us about $200,000. Now, this was back in the 80s. It was going to cost us $200,000. We were going to try to build a $500,000 building. We thought, certainly they won't sell that for that, for 500000 So we said, how much do you want for it? I, I, I'm not real sure why they did this, but they kind of looked to the ground and kind of hem-hauled around, kind of moving their feet, and then they looked at me and they said, will you give us 30000 for it? I said, well, we'll have to pray about it. So we prayed. It was a very quick prayer. <laughs> and we said, sure. We'd love to, we'd love to, to purchase that building. Now, I, I know you think, well, 30000 that's a huge thing. We didn't have $30,000. The very next week, I get another phone call. It's from an organization called Recycled Riches. It's a program where uh, churches loan money for interest-free to other churches on a 15-year note. And you don't even have to make payments. You just make payments to a bank. And then at the end of 15 years, just pay the whole thing back. Uh, interest rates back in the 80s, uh, during this time, personal loans were 13%. Business loans were a lot higher than that. 
I got a phone call from Re Recycle Riches saying, hey, you know, you've been on this list for 10 years. Your name finally came to the top. Would you be interested in, in uh, the Recycled Riches loan? I about fell out of the chair, and, and when I got back up, I said, yes, we would. And I said, we just, we just are moving into a building. We're, we're getting ready to move in in the next few weeks. They said, well, it's not that much, but maybe it'll help out. I said, oh, I'm sure it will help. How much is it? 30000 I said, we'll pray about it. <laughs> we got a $30,000 interest-free loan and only had to make one payment at the end of 15 years. Our payments were a little over $100 a month. This was an old church that had dwindled down to about five members. They didn't have a parking lot anymore. I thought, where are we going to park everybody? That first month that we were there, the highway department, the, I said it's on a U.S. highway, the highway department comes to me and says, hey, we have a, we're cleaning off the shoulders of our, uh, our U.S. highway. Can we park our equipment in your, in your lot? I said, we have no place to park because it's all yard. Well, we'll build you a parking lot and then uh, let you, and then park our equipment on that parking lot. Okay, I said, well, let me pray about it. We got a free parking for 40 cars. A building was thrown into our lap. All because we thought, I know we don't know what we're doing, God, but I know that this is what you want us to do. And we're not going to let our fears stop us. What's stopping you? It's time to step up. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for today. <laughs> thank you for reminding us to have a radical faith for you. To not let fears dictate us, but to truly live for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.